We alluded to this in the previous episode, and it's a big, big news story. King Carl is in San Jose for the long haul. How much did it cost the Sharks, and what's the ripple effect across the NHL? Well, for one, it might have led to the Preds and Jets trading big-name defensemen. We'll talk about that later. Also, we had some interesting contract extensions, more deals involving playoff hopefuls, and awards getting handed out in Vegas. Episode 177 of the Lace and Mel podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we go any further, as always, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am ready, yes. All right, question 62, all about goalies, my favorite subject. Here we go. Who was the only goalie welcomed into the Hall of Fame without the customary three-year waiting period? The only goalie welcomed into the Hall without the three-year waiting period. Was it Jacques Plante? Terry Sawchuck, Bernie Perrant, or Grant Fuhr? Um, I feel like Jock Plant is the oldest of those goalies, so I feel like, and he, he was a pretty good goalie, so it made, like, you know, it made sense to do that. So I would say um, Jock Plant. It's actually Terry Sawchuck. Oh, wow. Okay, interesting. So, so what happened is um, Sawchuck stopped playing hockey in 1969-1970 and was enshrined post-homously in 1971, months after his death from heart failure following surgery that was a result of a backyard fight with uh, one of his teammates. So he's the only goalie to gain immediate admittance into the Hall of Fame. Uh, okay. That makes. I guess that makes sense then. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah, so we're going to start things off. We have a lot of things to cover that weren't draft-related. By the way, I hope you guys enjoyed the draft episode that went out uh, yesterday. Um, but, uh, yeah, so a lot of stuff happened. We're going to start with uh, what kind of set it off. We did talk about it last week, but um, now that it's official, we can kind of fully talk about it in a little bit more detail. Um, this one is Eric Carlson. Um, he's re-signed with the Sharks. Um, eight years, eleven point five million annual average value. Um, yeah, I think we talked about this last week about how now this means that you know the, the Sharks not only do they have Pavelski and Joe Thornton to sign, but they also have LeBlanc and Timo Meyer to sign. Um, and they don't have a ton of cap space left to do it. Um, they have, I mean, I guess they have 14 million, but those like those four players are like a key part of their their core. Uh, they also have uh, Jonas Donskoy and um, Gustav Nyquist as well. Um, although I would imagine those guys are gone. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually I've actually heard uh, on the Twitterverse that it looks like. Uh... It's unlikely that Don Scoy would stay in San Jose, so he's probably yeah. gone. So, uh, but, like, still, like, that's, like, Timo Meyer's probably going to get a pay raise. Uh, 
Joe, I think Joe Thornton wants to stay uh, in San Jose, so maybe that's not a big deal. But I guess the bigger issue, and you you said this before, that it's like either they sign Eric Carlson or they sign Joe Pavelski. You can't have both. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of agree with that, but um, it's still like, a, it's, if, I, mean, I mean, I talked about this before too. It's like, it's a lot of money to give to um, Eric Carlson considering that he, um, like obviously when he's healthy, he's like the best in, defenseman in the world. Um, but at the same time, it's like the last three or four years he's been injured, um, and he's not even 30 yet. So, um, it's a, it's a risk and I feel like they'll regret it, uh, in a couple years, uh, because he has a few years left in his prime, but, um, at the moment you have to do it when the time's hot. Cause like we said, the sharks window is about to be close and all that stuff. Yeah, so there's a lot of layers to this Eric Carlson extension. First off, let's talk about the money because this is the richest contract Doug Wilson has ever handed out. This is the richest contract any GM in Sharks history has handed out. Um, the max in his last deal that he made was in a season was $7.5 million. That's the lowest it's going to go in this contract, and that won't happen until the final year in 2026-27. So put that into perspective. Um, he's going to be making 14.5 million next year alone. Uh, pretty much the majority of this contract is also in signing bonuses. We, we talked about how maybe that impacted the sense inability to sign him, but, um, well, basically a lot of the money is going to be paid up front. That's basically what it means. Um, and you compare Carlson to all the other defensemen in the league. He's now the highest paid defenseman in both salary and salary cap hit next year. He owns the highest signing bonus for defensemen and the third highest cap hit in the league and the fourth highest total salary. So, like I said, big contract, big historic contract with a lot of implications. As to whether or not this is the most logical destination for Carlson, I think it it was the only one that made sense. Um, he said it was a family decision, but he was thinking about San Jose a lot after the season ended. Um, and then things started getting serious a couple of weeks ago, and we are where we are now. But his focus, he says, ever since he got traded to San Jose, was on San Jose. He never really tested out any other options. So all the reports of, oh, maybe he goes to Montreal, or oh, maybe he goes back to Ottawa. Apparently that wasn't in the cards to begin, which, which, which frankly doesn't surprise me. When, when I look at Eric Carlson, he wants happiness for himself, for his family, and he wants to be on a contender every year. And the Sharks are the perfect fit for him because they're so welcoming and they'll give him what he wants. And, and I think it, it just offered everything to him. And I, I think... In, in the long haul, this was the only deal that was going to make sense. The, the thing is, we, we talk about living up to the hype of this contract. I don't know if any player can live up to the hype of this contract. I mean, as good as Carlson is, it's tough. But he's one of the few defensemen I would be willing to give this contract to. If you take a look at his first 70-point campaign, so that was back in 2011-2012, 
He averaged over 25 minutes per game, ninth highest in the NHL, 261 shots on goal, top 20 in the NHL there, 10th most points in the NHL, 78 points, um, averaged 27 minutes plus the following season, only recorded 14 points in 17 games. That was the year Matt Cook unintentionally injured him. Um, unintentionally, so, quote unquote. Even then, like 27 minutes per game is is outstanding for for 17 games played. Like that's superhuman. Um, and then the next year, he has at least 250 shots, another 70 plus point season, 31 power play points, 20 goals. Another 20-goal season after that with 292 shots that put him fourth in the league. Again, over 27 minutes per game there. Um, 82 points in 82 games in 2015-16. That's um, a career high for him. Um, Another 70-point season after that. Again, just under 27 minutes per contest, but still pretty close to 27 minutes. Um, and and you you go down the years and you, and you look at his stats this year. Yeah, his numbers were down, but it's because Brent Burns was getting the top line minutes and he wasn't. He was playing second pairing minutes. And even then, he still had 45 points in, I think, 53 games, 169 shots. He can most definitely be a threat and log a lot of minutes, but he's not the guy anymore. And he doesn't have to be because Brent Burns is now the guy in, in San Jose. And I think it's important that he's not the guy because I kind of worry with his injury history, the past couple of seasons, if you give him the top minutes, I wonder if he starts to wear down even faster. And I think the best thing for the San Jose Sharks is to have Eric Carlson play those second line minutes, still get the power play time. Um, it may, maybe it, it it results in a dip in numbers, but um, I don't think it's going to be a drastic uh, dip. Yeah, this is where this is where this is where I this is where I start to doubt Doug Wilson here because they gave him a no move straight through, as if his contract is already tough to trade. They give him a no move. You take a look at what their core is. They have $26.5 million between Carlson, Burns, and Vlasic for the next six years. Their bottom three defense don't even make $5 million combined, and they're on the books for another year. Yeah. Burton Jones is making $5.75 million for the next five years. Kane and Couture, $15 million AAV combined next six years. Um, Hurdle's value could go up in three years, and he's already at $5.625 million. Out of all those names I just mentioned, except for Hurdle, all of those names have some sort of no move or no trade. And on top of that, all of those names but Hurdle, I'm talking about Burns, Vlasic, Carlson, Couture, Kane, and Jones. All of them have a three-team trade list. Yep. You can only trade them to three teams. (laughs) Like... I get that you have faith in these guys, but God damn, Doug Wilson, that's that's tough. If things go south, you're really putting yourself in a bind there. Well, I think it's very clear what he's trying, he's doing here. Is he realizes that 
like this team only has a short window and that's that's pretty true actually when you think of it when you come down to it and you look at their roster because like a lot of their guys are pretty old um I mean of course you know, Joe Pavelski uh he's a UFA even if they do sign him he's 34 years old uh, Logan Couture is 30 years old Vander Kane's 27 Thomas Hurdle's pretty young but uh he's 25 you know, you have Carlson, who's 29, and Burns are 34. So, like, I think that's where he was thinking. It's like, okay, we should build this team for now, um, and it's going to, like, suck in a couple of years, but um, it'll be worth it um, if, if they get a cup. And um, I think that's, that's the mindset that he has um, for this deal. Um, you mentioned the fact that they have Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, and I think that that's the interesting part about this is that like Brent Burns is a much better defenseman than Eric Carlson is right now, um, but at you know, but it's like it's just a little weird because Eric Carlson's also making a like more money, and he's younger, slightly younger, but like you know, it's. So it's it's a little like it's a weird dynamic in that sense where, um, so I don't know if necessarily Eric Carlson's worth that much more than Brent Burns, um, but uh, so that's where I only get a slight problem with, and especially with all these free agents that you have to sign uh, this off season. But um, I I think I understand why. Um, Doug Wilson is building this team this way. Yeah, it's it. I don't get me wrong. Like it, what Doug Wilson is is doing, it's 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 huge for hockey yeah. in San Jose, and you know, obviously the fans like it. It's just in the long term. Like if your team starts to suck and you need to push the rebuild button, yeah, I you mean, have to trade all of those guys like on top of the contracts you're giving them. Yeah, you're I guess yourself to three teams. True, but I mean, I think they're just going all in right now. They have a strong oh, yeah, team I that's, know. you know, they, they're going to make the playoffs next year um, unless all the guys get injured. So it's like, it's not something that he necessarily has to worry about right now in terms of rebuilding. But, mm-hmm. um, and also like Timo Meyer and Hurdle are probably like, young enough guys that you can build around um, in a couple of years. So I think they'll be in decent shape uh to say um and i mean also to like carlson and burns are like the two best defensemen um in the league um at least top five so um so like if you have those guys on the same team and they're going to be on the ice like if you don't have burns on the ice then you have to deal with eric carlson that's like a nightmare to deal with um assuming both are healthy of course Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. and 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 there's there's definitely so, a lot of pros yeah. to this deal. Like if you're getting a healthy Eric Carlson, oh yeah, yeah, you don't care if you're paying him ten, eleven, twelve million right. per year. You know, it's worth it to you. It's just that it kind of at some point will force their hand when it comes to some of the young oh, players yeah. like Anker Meyer. Like everyone's going to be like, hmm, if they keep Joe Pavelski. Let's offer sheet one of LeBanc and Timo Meyer because the Sharks probably won't be able to afford that. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is true. They're a prime candidate to be um, bought, uh, like to be offer sheeted um, if that happened. 
Uh, let's let's move on here because we did talk about this a lot last week as well. Yeah. So uh, we should, and we have a lot to cover here. So let's uh, let's move on. Uh, PK yep. PK Subban uh, is traded to the Devils. Um, speaking of cap moves, um, for Steven Santini, uh, Jeremy Davies. A 2019 second round pick, which Nashville eventually did uh, trade, um, like almost immediately uh, to Philadelphia for two more picks, um, and a 2020 second round pick um, from the Devils. The uh, as I just mentioned, that like almost right away, the Predators traded uh, that 2019 second round pick to Philadelphia. Um, and Nashville, uh, got a second and a third, uh, from that. Um, yeah, uh, Bobby Brink was the player that the Flyers picked and then the Predators got Yegor Afanasyov and Alexander Campbell, um, uh, from those two picks. But, um... So technically, I guess it's like those two picks that I just mentioned, Jeremy Davies, Steven Santini, and then another 2020 second round pick for P.K. Subban. So that's a lot of players, I guess, for P.K. Subban. Um, the thing that's interesting, like even at the time, I was just thinking like that seems like a, like a fleece uh, from... Uh, for the Devils because they didn't really give up all that much. Uh, they still have Ty Smith in the system. Riley Walsh is another good defenseman. Um, but I was looking at Jeremy Davies' stats, and uh, Chris talked about this uh, yesterday, um, was that, you know, Jeremy Davies was pretty good in Nor for Northeastern uh, where he played uh, last year. He had 36 points in 37 games. Um, in the NCAA, of course, that's not like, you know, it's not the CHL or um, even the AHL, but it's still, like, pretty good. So he could be a decent defenseman, and it's not like Nashville needs um, a ton of defensemen. But, um, yeah, what what is your take on this? Like, obviously, P.K. Subban helps the Devils a lot. Uh, they needed a defenseman, like a puck-moving defenseman for a while. Um and they also will probably, you know, the Predators are going to make either make room to sign Matt Duchesne, that's the big rumor, and, or uh, re-sign Roman Yossi. It's one of the two kind of things. So um, so I think this was a cap-dump move, but um, just like, you know, initially I thought it was a t bad trade for the Predators, but... At the same time, just looking at this again, I'm like, eh, they could, I mean, it's not a terrible trade. Just given what yeah, their so, team dynamic is. Yeah, you know, it, it's not like uh, New Jersey had to give up Shea Weber. Right, right. <laughs> not like they had to do that. Um, I think both teams want it for different reasons, Brett. I, I think you're right there. So let's let's take a look at what P.K. Subban offers in New Jersey. And, and before we get to that, um, a lot of people might be reminded, uh, oh, wait, P.K. Subban has a no trade or no move or something like that. Like, did he have to approve this trade? Well, see, the funny thing yeah. is that didn't kick in until July 1st, 2016. That was a few days after the Abs traded him to Nashville. And, of course, that infamous one-for-one -one deal that sent Shea Weber to Montreal. So at that point, 
which I didn't realize, the Preds had an option as a result not to honor the no trade. So they didn't. So PK didn't get a chance to say yes or no to this deal. It just happened. Uh, but he seems very happy on Twitter, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, and um, him and Taylor Hall are buddies, apparently. Yeah. I didn't realize which, that. Which which I, I think also adds to the master plan there. Um, But anyways, offensively, P.K. Subban, not his best year, uh, 31 points. He had 50 points at least on four straight occasions uh, or on four occasions uh, in the past five years. He had at least 40 points in five straight years, Um, even had 60 points with the Habs one year. Can generally generate 170 to 200 shots on goal. an asterisk to the 31 points he got last year, he only played 63 games. So that's yeah. still, in an A2 game season, that's like 40 to 45 points. So it, it what what's interesting about P.K. Subban's stats last year compared to other years is his time on ice. Because out of the top four in Nashville last year, the top four being Roman Yosti, Ryan Ellis, Mateus Ekholm, and P.K. Subban, Every one of them except Subban averaged at least 23 minutes. In fact, Subban was close to Dan Hamus in total penalty kill minutes last year. Actually, eighth on the roster, fourth amongst press defensemen. Um, there are other years where he averaged 24, 25, 26 minutes. And in his first season with Nashville, um, he was 1-2 with Roman Yossi for total time on ice um, per game. So... It's no secret that the less time that he play, the less time that you play, chances are your production might take a bit of a hit. And I think to an extent, PKs did, but not by much. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be thinking, "Oh, offensive defenseman, he can obviously help out our power play, right?" See, the thing with that is New Jersey's power play wasn't great, but Nashville's was worse. Like, when I mean worse, I mean worst in the league or certainly up there. So, and and you look at Nashville's roster, they had talent galore. There's no reason they should be, you know, dead last or close to dead last on the penalty on, uh, on the power play. But that was the case last year. So it remains to be seen. If that was P.K. Subban's fault, if it was the, the power play structure. Um, so I'm not going to go out there and say, you know, New Jersey special teams are going to improve overnight because of this trade. But it, it's certainly interesting when you look at P.K. Subban's stats, what he could provide to the Devils. Yep. Here's where the Preds win this trade, and it's not just on the return. Obviously, Santini is probably not going to do much. He hasn't even played 40 games in an NHL season in his career. So... Right. I'm not expecting too much from him. Jeremy Davies, like you said, is a solid prospect. He's He's got a bit of hype. But by getting rid of P.K. Subban, the Preds can do a lot of things. First of all, they can give Roman Yossi the type of money that he wants. Mm-hmm. Secondly, they can go out and get a name like maybe Matt Duchesne, who apparently the Preds are in the front running for. Um and on top of that, it opens the door for Dante Fabro to play more minutes because that's yep. the thing with with Dante Fabro. If PK Subban is still on this team, Dante Fabro doesn't get a chance to really flourish on this team, and I think he has the potential to do exactly that. So, New Jersey gets an all star player; they have the cap to do it. 
they get this buzz around them. They have Jack Hughes. They have Nico Heischer. They have Taylor Hall. They now have P.K. Subban. Maybe that's enough to keep Taylor Hall. Yep. For Nashville, they open up cap space to maybe get a big name in free agency and keep Roman Yossi. And uh, Dante Fabro as well. Um, right. Yeah, no, that, I was going to mention the Taylor Hall stuff because I think he... he I, w- I was reading that I forget where, but uh, he was uh, apparently he talked. He's going to be a UFA next year, um, and he talked to uh, either he said it publicly or uh, Ray Shiro said this. But uh, Taylor Hall said that I'm not going to consider resigning unless um, it just depends on how the Devils are doing it. Like you know, he's not confident in the Devils' future. Um, and this is a move to uh, kind of keep Taylor Hall in line. I mean, of course, Jack Hughes helps, um, and you know, Nico Heischer helps. Um, but if you add a guy like PK Subban, who's you know, like one of the more experienced players in the league, he's um, he's obviously very good. Of course, he had like a a bad year last year, but for his standards, but. Um, P.K. Subban instantly becomes the best defenseman um, for the Devils this year. So, oh, yeah. Like, the leading yeah. time on ice guy for the Devils was Damon Steverson. Right, right. Who? Yeah, and so, and like, I, I, th- I feel like a part of the reason why P.K. Subban wasn't doing so well in Nashville was mostly because, you know, he had Roman Yossi, he had Matthias Uckholm, he had Ryan Ellis um, to in compete Montreal, with. he was basically the guy. Yeah, so... Right, exactly. So he gets to be the guy. I mean, of course, his contract is kind of like you know, it's pretty, it's pretty big too. So um, I think it, it, like this is his like. I mean, obviously, this is his third team, but this is kind of like his second chance where, like, we get to see uh, what he's capable of and what he can uh, he can do. Um, on a team on his own because he's like you know now he's the guy um or the defensive guy in new jersey so i I, i'm gonna i feel like the devils all of a sudden like in just one weekend they became one of the most interesting teams um in the league just because of this taylor hall effect where he may leave next year um if the devils don't do well but even still you know you have like he sure hughes um, and now you add P.K. Subban in the mix. Um, so that that's something. They do need to address the goaltending. I know Mackenzie Blackwood is, um, he what he was decent last year, but um, I think that's the only big one that, and maybe they add another defenseman, but more or less they seem to be in relatively good shape compared to other teams. Um, yeah, when, when you take a look at the Devils from a contract perspective, Schneider, Subban, Severson, and Wood are the only guys that are under contract beyond three years. Yeah. And, after, and after those three years, they become UFA. So there's a lot of short-term uh, to New Jersey. Um, regarding David Poyle, though, I kind of wonder if he's lost a Midas touch a little bit. Because, yeah. it, it, like, you, you, you go back to... Uh, the Kyle Tourist tree, that's not looking good capitalized, yeah. especially with the way Sam Gerrard is playing. Simmons and Hartman didn't really turn out well, and right, and while a player like Ryan Johansson is still pretty good on that team, Seth Jones chalked up an average of 28 to 29 True. minutes in the postseason this year, tops amongst blue liners, and he only played two rounds. 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. I guess it's it's interesting too from that perspective. But we just mentioned like the reason why the predators did this is so that they could save cap space. So that they, I mean, this is all dependent on if they can either sign Matt Duchesne or if they can re-sign uh, Roman Yossi, because that's the main reason why they did this. So, oh, uh, yeah, 100%, yeah, 100%, and I get that it's not all about the return in yeah. this case. Just, it, it's just, you know, if it's if it's one trade, okay, but if it's multiple trades, oh, yeah, yeah, you for start sure. to worry that it becomes a, a pattern. Oh, 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 I see what you mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think this that's was... Why, that's why I mentioned the other deals. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I guess it's just... Like, I think it was understood that this was a cap dump trade. Having yeah. said all that, it is, I do agree with you. I think it is a little unsettling that Poyle um, got fleeced in this trade. But I think it's like, if you're doing this cap dump thing, it's like, it's understandable why he made this trade. Because, oh, you know, yeah, you know so, um, and who knows what's going to happen with Dante Fabro. He could be pretty good. He looked pretty good in the in the playoffs, so... Um, I don't know, maybe he could be a good player for them. Um, let's go to Jacob Truba trade. Uh, this happened right after we finished recording, which was kind of funny. But, um, yeah, and, and hours after the Carlson signing, too. Yeah, yeah. So like, right. Remember when I said the ripple effect involving Eric Carlson? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this, uh, yeah, speaking of which, that makes it. I think there was like a report of, I forget which insider it was, but I think it was LeBron, but it might have been another person. But the bigger, the thing was is that, oh no, it was Pierre Maguire. Um, he, they, they said that the Rangers were very in, like they thought that Eric Carlson was going to test free agency and they wanted, they were going to like offer him a lot of money um, to sign there. So I think this is in direct response to not being able to even talk to Eric Carlson. Uh, they get Jacob Truba, which is not a bad consolation prize when you think of it. He had 50 points well, last yeah, year. Let's specify yeah. they got the signing rights to Jacob Truba because he's... Oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. He, he hasn't signed yet. That's, yeah. that's a good point. Um, but most likely, he, they're going to sign him. Um, yeah, better, they have a better chance than Winnipeg did at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um... So Jacob, oh, there's a couple of things here that I'll, I'll, well, first I'll say the trade. Uh, Jacob Truba goes to the Rangers. Winnipeg gets Neil Pionk and a 2019 first round pick. That turns out to be Winnipeg's own first round pick. Uh, Vili Hanola uh, was yeah. the, was who they drafted there. So two defensemen for uh, Jacob Truba. Um, and uh, so yeah, a couple of things first. Jacob Truba wrote a uh, wrote a thing, um, and he said that a part of the reason why he wanted to leave Winnipeg was because um, his fiance um, is studying to become a doctor, um, yeah. who, and she's an American citizen as well as Jacob Truba. So uh, he wanted to be in an um, at an American team. And so he and he wanted her to be successful as well as him. So that gives me a little bit more respect for it. It's not like he like didn't get he didn't want to be in Winnipeg or he didn't want to like you know he didn't he likes the team. Obviously, Winnipeg is still a better team than the Rangers are at this point. But um, 
you know, that kind of made you feel like, okay, so he's not like a jerk or anything. He just, it's just like a personal reason kind of thing. Um, but, you know, this is kind of a similar situation for, um, from P.K. Subban to, um, for here is like, you know, Winnipeg, they have Dustin Bufflin, they have Tyler Myers, uh, they have Sammy Naiku um, in the mix. Um, of course, J- Jacob Truba uh, is going to be a huge loss for them, um, especially considering that he had like a career year last year. But um, at the same time, like the Rangers desperately needed a defenseman. Um, like Kevin Shattenkirk wasn't hasn't been good uh, last year. He he was injured two years ago, so that's a little unfair. But uh, last year he he played in a full season. He wasn't good. Neil Pionk was kind of like a, you know, he was on the power play for a bit, but it turns out that he wasn't great defensively. Um, so they get a guy like Jacob Truba who's um, who's going to, like, help them out. Um, he's still relatively young, but he's going to be their defense. He's going to be their guy. He's going to be the D guy. Um, he's going to be the D guy there in uh, in New York and um yeah I'm, I'm gonna be curious to see how he does because like in this case I feel like it's a hit or miss kind of thing like they could either like Jacob Truba could be um hindered uh like he could be like a he could have had a, like a fluke year last year and you know he may have, it's it's like it's kind of pretty easy to get points as a defenseman in Winnipeg because they have such good forwards. But um, in New York, they don't have as many good forwards um, for the Rangers. So it's going to be interesting to see if its point totals go up or down uh, this year um, being the guy on a worser team. Yeah, that's the key, being the guy on a worser team. Um, Let's take a look at what he was when he wasn't officially the guy in Winnipeg, but was kind of forced to be, and he was on a good team. So the thing is, as you know, the Jets' blue line for most of the season was banged up with injuries. Buffalo only played 42 games last year. Yep. Tyler Myers played 80, but he had the fourth highest time on ice average per game on the team. Uh, you had a guy like Morrissey who played in 59 games, but again, injuries cut his season short. So the guy who in the past didn't really take his game to new heights, did exactly that when his team needed his presence the most. So Truba averaged 22 minutes, 53 seconds of ice time per game this year, a mile behind Buffalo, mind you, but still second on the team. Finished tied for fourth in Jets scoring with Patrick Line, 50 points in 82 games. Also 13th most points scored by a blue liner in the league. 42 assists, ninth most by NHL defenseman. He logged the most minutes on the power play amongst Jets blue liners. Logged over 200 minutes on the penalty kill, tops on the team. He had 104 rebounds recovered, third amongst NHL defenders. Finished fifth on the Jets with 112 hits, sixth in the league with 171 block shots. And on the power play, he compiled 33 one-timers, which is interesting because the Jets sat fourth overall in power play success while the Rangers were in the middle of the pack. So... If Jacob Truba is the guy and he doesn't need to be on a great team, 
the Rangers are getting one heck of a defenseman. The thing is with Truba, apparently the asking price right at the start of contract negotiations might be between seven and eight million, which, you know, you, you talk about here. Here's here's the thing. When I was talking about Eric Carlson and the money that he was getting, I was saying I'm not sure if any player is worth this kind of money, but if there is a player that I'm thinking might be worth it i give it to elite defenseman jacob truba had a great season in order to get seven to eight million per year in my opinion and maybe it's the new nhl and it doesn't work like that anymore because we've seen a lot of far-fetched contracts lately we're gonna talk about another one later the thing is I'm not comfortable giving a defenseman seven to eight million per year on one great season. Yes, it was one great season, but you need to do that at least a couple of times before I'm thinking, yeah, okay, I think you're worth this. Let's do it. So right. that's that's where the Rangers might be in trouble. The thing is, the Blue Shirts have nobody under contract beyond the next two seasons. So like New Jersey, they have a lot of flexibility that way. When you talk about the Jets and the Truba situation, the fact that Truba wasn't going to really resign there and basically kind of put them into a bind because he, he, you know, wanted to be in a certain place. Considering this is probably the best return they were going to get for them. I don't think the Jets got screwed. Like they were put into a bind. They couldn't really do much of anything. They get a guy like Neil Pionk who could provide a bit of upside on the power play. Obviously not, defensively if his numbers continue um in this direction but he's cheaper to sign he's 23 he's an rfa they already have shut down defensemen like josh morrissey they have sam niku in the system like you said if they keep tyler myers he's still around to help out and then you look at the prospect they picked up who is a finished defenseman maybe in a few years that guy will hopefully become a better cheaper alternative than Jacob Truba. So I'm not going to sit here and say the Jets got screwed and they got nothing. They got something. I don't think they got full value for Truba, but they did get something and something is better than nothing. So I definitely think the Rangers won, but the Jets didn't flat out lose. Yeah. I, the, the, I, I was kind of surprised by the reaction to this trade. Cause I didn't like, you know, I didn't think that, I mean, obviously, Truba is a better defenseman than Neil Pionk is, and I guess it was people were stuck on the fact that, like, they got a first-round pick, which was their own first-round pick. Yeah. So then if you compare it to that, it's, like, it's even more unfair because it's, like, the Rangers got Brendan Lemieux, uh, Jacob Truba, um, and a couple of other players for, like, for just, like, Neil Pionk. Because, uh, you know, and, and if you substitute, games, yeah, which was for a fifth round pick. right. And like a couple of games for, of Kevin Hayes. So, yeah. um, so I think that's why it's skewed. Like people thought like, oh, the, the Rangers like fleece the Jets this way. Um, but like, if you just put it in like, a, like a, I don't know, a vacuum, just that take that trade into account. Like you don't think about the trade they made in March. Um, you're going to, you know, uh, then it, like, it makes, it's more reasonable. It's like, okay, 
Neil Pionk, he was like a decent player for them for like half the year. Um, and he was like a part of their power play thing. But like, you know, the Jets have like Dustin Bufflin already in the system. Uh, you know, they have Sammy Nike. I guess this means that he's going to get more ice time. So they they have a lot of those players already. Um, like that, you know, Neil Pionk doesn't have to be like, there's less pressure for Neil Pionk on the, on the roster there. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be a, I, I understand that he's not great defensively, but, uh, for a defenseman, but at the same time, it's just like, he was pretty good on the power play. Sometimes that's, that's what happens. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't say it was like as bad as people were making it out to be, but yeah, I think you're right that I think Jacob Truba could have returned more um, if they really if they really looked at it. Um, and it's also, I guess, like maybe Jacob Truba like forced their hand because there was yeah, only a couple teams that they yeah. could have. So I guess you have to consider that as well. It's like you know they like the Rangers knew that um, there wasn't a ton of options for him, but. I don't know. We'll see. I th- I look at the deal in a different way, knowing the power of hindsight that they weren't going to get Truba and yeah. New York was one of the few markets he wanted to go to. Like, right. Like it, it's it's easier to kind of accept that where it's just like okay, maybe they didn't have another choice. Yep. Speaking of Kevin Hayes, um, <laughs> he uh, he quote unquote resigns with the Flyers. Uh, Seven point one million annual average value, seven years. Um, I'm gonna say. Uh, actually, I was just looking at his stats just a while ago. Let me let me go back to his stats. Um, I do want to say first off that I am a big fan of Kevin Hayes. Um, yeah. I I want to reiterate that. Uh, before I get into it, he had a career year this year. He had uh about fifty points in seventy one games. Uh, fifty five points in seventy one games. Um, a couple of those games he wasn't even used. Uh, efficiently in Winnipeg um, so like I feel like he could have gotten even more points in Winnipeg um, but he still got like 13 points in 20 games uh, that's not bad um, and um, I feel like he is a good player um, because he's defensively responsible he penal- he kills penalties um, and all that stuff at the same time it's like seven million dollars for seven years uh, for Kevin Hayes is a little bit too much money. <laughs> um, very, uh, so that's, um, he, he is 27, so he still has a couple more years left in him um, of prime stuff, but um, I just don't see it, like him being worth that much in the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah. Uh, it just uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, like I could see maybe six million. You can make a case for that, um, but I thought he was gonna get maybe like five point five, five point seven, or something like just a little bit. But I guess it has more to do with the fact that like after Matt Duchesne on the the free agent market, like Kevin Hayes was the best center available for for people looking for that so um so in that regard i guess it's just like it just happened to be the circumstance for kevin hayes he got 
you know, he was the best, the second best center, and uh, the Flyers overpaid for him uh, because of that. And, um, like, he, he probably wouldn't get that much if um, after July 1st and the Flyers weren't able to sign him. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of an overpay, I would say. Yeah, so the Flyers need two-way guys at four, particularly down the middle, and I get that. Sean Couturier is probably the best guy they have. If you look at defensive stats, it's easy to see why Kevin Hayes was so highly regarded by the brass in Philly. Um, 55 points in 71 games, top 100 score in the NHL by far his best season. You look at some of what Elsie brings in the two-way game, 360 controlled entries, top 50 amongst forwards, or certainly near the top 50, 100 slot passes in 2018-19, 71st amongst NHL forwards. He won 95 defensive zone puck battles, top 50 amongst forwards, 172 block passes in the defensive end, 12th in the NHL amongst forwards. And he also gives the Flyers options because he can also play wing. With, and he can also buy Nolan Patrick more time to develop his offensive game by being a second-line center. So he definitely gives the Flyers options. He gives them that two-way style that they need because if there's one thing the Flyers need help with, it's their defensive side of the game. They have enough offensive forwards. They need defensive forwards. And you know what? 42 points in 51 games on a Rangers team that wasn't doing well, that, that definitely gives you hope that his best offensive years aren't behind him considering those 42 points in 51 games came last season. At the same time, when I look at the guys who are making over $7 million a year, you usually do that if you can score a lot of goals or put up a lot of points. Bobby Ryan, before he was in Ottawa Center, had a couple of 30-goal seasons on the top line in Anaheim. Pat Chiretti was a consistent 30-goal scorer with the Habs before he got paid this type of money in Vegas. Paul Stastny had a couple of 60-plus point seasons early in his career. You can debate whether or not those guys deserve six or seven million bucks per year today, but there's at least a case to be made because they had the numbers back then. Kevin Hayes' best season was 25 goals set two years ago. 55 points this year, like you said, career high. Before this year, never had a season where he got 60 points. Yeah. Or even 50. He, was, he wasn't a guy even that typically averages 25 to 25 goals until a few years ago. <coughs> but now you're telling me he's making more money than Patrice Bergeron, who has won multiple Selkies. You're telling me that guy like Brad Marchand, who has had multiple 80-point seasons and even got 100 this year, is making less money than Kevin Ace? You're telling me you're going to be very aggressive and competitive in the free agent market, Chuck Fletcher. And I agree your moves might be enough to make this team into a playoff team. But I don't know how good of a team the Philadelphia Flyers are with Kevin Hayes making that kind of money. Especially when you have to re-sign guys like Travis Konechny, Travis Sinheim, Ivan Provorov, Carter Hart in two years. And you have to still have pieces to make your team stronger. What happens if the offense doesn't come from Kevin Hayes. Yeah. I don't think you're that much better. You're back to being where you were and trying to add another piece because you may think you're one piece away from 
putting you over the top. Except the issue is now you're paying a guy over $7 million a year and you gave him a no move for the first three years and a no trade for the final four. Yeah. I just don't know if Chuck Fletcher is spending all of his money in the right places. And that's what concerns me. And it also gets me back to the big fish in this free agent market driving the price of everyone else up. Yeah. I think if this was a different UFA market, Kevin Hayes doesn't get this much money. Yeah, like, like I was mentioning, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I was mentioning this to you that, like, the the Flyers have Claude Giroux, Vorchek, Kevin Hayes, uh, Van Riemsdyk making $7 million or more dollars uh, annual average value. Um, so that's four guys making about, like, $30 million, like, 30 million lock, locked up for four guys. Um, you compared uh, this deal to Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. Um, I do want to say that Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand are well underpaid. So if you're going to compare them to anyone, if you're going to compare them to anyone in the league, it's like, you know, it's kind of unfair because they're, they're extremely underpaid. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it seems kind of ridiculous that, um, he is over, he is, um, uh, he is overpaid. I hope he does well though, uh, considering that I have him in a lot of keeper leagues, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, at the same time, I, I feel like it is an overpay. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, does, does your fantasy leagues count salary cap? No, but it does count face-off wins, which is a good thing for um, a guy like Kevin Hayes because he okay, uh, he so does at well. Least, in the... At least you're not getting screwed in that regard. Oh no, no, I no, do no. Know there are leagues that count salary cap. No, no, no. I'm, oh yeah, no, I'm not doing that. But like you know, he he's always for the past. I've had him for the past couple of years, but he was always like a like a bottom tier keeper for me. Um, but. Uh, you know, I I kind of want to see him do well just because of my fantasy game. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, the Flyers also get uh, Justin Braun for a 2019 second in a 2020 third. Um, this was an this was kind of like flew under the radar a bit. I feel like uh, just because it like it had like Justin Braun is Justin Braun, but um, this happened uh, the second round pick. The the Sharks got was Caden uh, Korzak um, in the second round, but they also are gonna get a twenty twenty third round pick for Justin Braun. Just like I think this was in direct relation to the fact that the Sharks got you know they re-signed Eric Carlson. They needed to move a contract like Justin Braun. Justin Braun. The thing with Justin Braun is is that he's not very He's a good shutdown defenseman. Uh, he doesn't score that often, but he is a pretty good, like he's underrated in the aspect of like, he plays sound defense, um, which is something that the Flyers need. Um, and, you know, they already have guys like Provorov, Gospare, um, uh, those are the main two, um, that like, you know, they'll provide the offense for the defensive core of, the Flyers, and if they can add a guy like Justin Braun, that that seems to work out for them. So um, this could be a good move for the Flyers. Um, I feel like the flyer, like the Flyers, are trying to. 
go all in with the, like these two moves here and um and and try to try to do well that way so yeah i don't know it could work yeah so uh, justin Braun had a career high 33 points two years ago goes down to 16 points and has a minus 14 rating in a year where the sharks have carlson and burns on their team and Vlasic too he's 32 years old not really a top four defender to me and it seems that chuck fletcher is keeping the expectations even keel because he basically told justin Braun, look i just want you to be a player like not a mentor not a norris defenseman just go out there do your job do it right and amongst defensemen he was a top 40 guy in defensive zone stick checks uh pretty good defensive zone puck battles one defensive zone denied entries per game shorthanded block shots per game he was 12th in the nhl there uh you add that to the matt niskanen um trade with washington there uh, another shut down defenseman with a bit of offensive upside there braun is also under contract for one more year at 3.8 million and niskanen's under contract for two so like the two trades they got for shutdown defensemen are only for like between one and two years so it's it's not like they're taking on a big contract or anything with these deals it's just the short term still giving up a second and a third for one year of justin braun is yeah that's a bit for for philly and it's a win for san jose because they don't retain salary they just got rid of 3.8 million boom it's gone they don't have to worry about it um they did get tom pyatt in a trade with vancouver but he's a pending ufa on july 1st so they probably don't keep him so again probably 3.8 million is is what they got rid of here they're huge winners because they got a second and a third for ditching $3.8 million. So I, I think it's it's a bit of a tie here and a slight win for the Sharks because they get rid of a body in $3.8 million that they no longer need. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the main reason why they did that. Um, we don't have to go in too depth for that. Yeah. Uh, another one here... Uh, Patrick Marlowe is going to the Hurricanes. Uh, also going in that trade is a 2020 conditional first. A 2027th um, is going to the Hurricanes for a 2020 sixth round pick. It is kind of funny when you look at it like this because it's like they traded all that for a sixth round pick. Um, but uh, but it, it, is, it is very clear that that was all just uh, just so that they could uh, dump Patrick Marlowe's uh, salary, which was like the speculation for a couple weeks now. Um, the thing with let's see, the conditional the condition on that first round pick is that if the Leafs pick is in the top ten in twenty twenty, the Hurricanes will receive Toronto's first round pick in twenty twenty one. I feel like a lot of these clauses are in due part because of what happened with Ottawa um, yeah. last year. So. New Year going there. New Year going yeah, there. Yeah. It's okay. But, it's um, Pierre Dorian did this to right. himself. But it's just funny thinking that. It's like if the Leafs pick is in the top 10 in 2020, it's like why would the Leafs want to make that condition? <laughs> They're not even close to being in the top 10 next year. But um, Because you never know what the NHL right, is going exactly. to Right, exactly. You never know. I guess it's true. Like the Leafs, you know, knowing their luck in the past, they, they may... <laughs> 
I don't know. I guess that's true. But imagine they go from a yeah. series of Game Seven, Round One exits in TD yeah. Garden to not making the playoffs at all. Yeah, that's true. That true. But uh, anyways, uh, so the uh, the Leafs dump a six million dollars of Patrick Marlowe, uh, which yep, makes they, sense. They don't retain any of that. It's all gone. Yep. And I think the Hurricanes can also just buy him out because yeah. uh, without any re- repercussions. Um, I believe that's what their plan is going to be. Marlo says yeah. he uh, the preference is he'd like to be in the West Coast. So apparently, they, apparently what I'm hearing is they're going to try and convince him to stay. But if they can't, they'll probably just yeah. buy him out. The big rumor is that he's going back to San Jose. Um, but knowing their the San Jose's cap trouble, I don't know if they're gonna yeah. be able to do that. But, um, anyways, uh, this makes sense from a Toronto standpoint too, because they have they still have to sign Mitch Marner to that huge contract, um, and then they have also Andreas Janssen, Casper Kapanen, as well as RFAs. Um, I doubt Jake Gardner is going to be signed as a UFA, but he's probably um, gone yeah, he's probably gone. But like you know, this this kind of uh, gives them more cap space for activities. Um, they have 13 million now, which isn't a ton still, but um, it could be enough to at least sign Andreas Janssen and Casper Captain. I feel like they still need to make one more deal in order to afford Mitch Marner, um, but we'll see. That would be Nikita Zaitsev because it's well documented that he oh, yeah. like a fresh start right. elsewhere. So when that deal gets done, they'll shed another four to five million. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it it also sounds like Kapanen and Janssen are cl- both close to resigning with the Leafs. So when that happens, we'll let you know. Um, so they'll they'll probably use most of that Marlow money that they yeah. saved to do that. I think that. I was I was reading somewhere that like the contract for Janssen and Kapanen are kind of already set. They're just waiting on Marner to be signed um, for that. So Uh, the the thing, the thing is with the Leafs, I'd be careful about the habits I get into with this because giving up a first round pick just so a team can take one of your poorly aged contracts is something that worked once in a lifetime. And, And if you don't recall, they gave up their first in the Jake Musson trade this year. Yeah. So unless they trade to get a first round pick, they're going to be without a first round pick for two straight years. Obviously, they have the prospects now where they don't have to worry about that. But down the line, three, four years down the line, when you're still trying to contend, you're going to need those picks. Yeah. So you better not be accustomed to trading them away because that will get you nowhere. Yeah, that's a good point, I guess. It's just uh, it's an interesting thing to... Um, to to uh, consider yeah i guess it's like it, i mean we're, we're about to get into it with the canucks and jt miller but yeah it's it, it does seem a little strange to trade i guess the, the only reason why the hurricanes would do that is so that they could get a first round pick or something yeah like that's the only way they would get this because so, they're not in the position yeah. like arizona where it's just like yeah we'll take your bad contracts out of that if you you know you you pay us back later or anything right, like that right, right. Carolina is in a position to be competitive. Their owners made it very clear. They're they're in it to win it. They they showed it with the conference finals appearance. Um, they're they're not uh, in a position to take on anyone's bad contracts just for nothing. I think the only way it got done is if they got a first round pick, and they did. Yep. Uh, let's go to the Canucks. They made a couple of moves here. Um, uh-huh. 
they uh, they tr they sign uh, Alex Edler to uh, he he's making six million dollars uh, for two years. Um, is that right? Yeah, two years, uh, six million dollars. Um, this is a uh, you know. Also, uh, it should also be noted Alex Edler has a no move on both years. Okay, Alex Edler is kind of. Like actually, kind of one of the more underrated players. I mean, I know yeah, he's mostly old. because he plays on the Canucks. Yeah, I was yeah. about to say it's mostly because of that. But uh, like he had, he had about like thirty points, thirty-four points in uh, fifty-six games this year, um, mm. and on a Vancouver Canucks team which pretty much only has Pedersen and Brock Besser, and I guess Bo Horvat too. But um, you know, like not a very great team as well. So. Uh, I, I like this deal for the Canucks. It, it makes sense to keep him on board. Um, I know he's only like 34 years old, but like at this point for the Canucks, you, you know they have enough young guys um, that they can afford to um, to keep him um, like that. So um, yeah, it, it, it's a it's a pretty good signing for them. Yeah, that's that. This is the interesting part. Like when you look at the Canucks and their young defense. They need Edler as a leader. Yeah. Like, Edler is a guy they need. I think it would be, like, a mistake because, like, I, I heard that uh, Jake Gardner and Tyler Myers are guys that the Canucks would target. If they lose Edler and get one of those two guys, I think it's a mistake because you're basically throwing those guys right into the leadership fire and just like, okay, teach all these young guys all these new tricks. Right. So I think getting uh, keeping a guy like Edler is instrumental there, even if it's $6 million, even if it's a no-move. Just taking a look at some of the other stats he provides, you, you talk about uh, being a 30 to 40 point guy the past two years. What's also interesting is his defensive side of the game. Um, he actually averaged over 24 minutes per game two years ago, 19th highest in the NHL. Um, 203 block shots, third in the league that year. Um, had 166 block shots in the limited time he played for Vancouver last year. Still finished eighth in block shots in the NHL, despite missing all those games. Uh, and this year he went uh, in the top 10 as far as highest time on ice per game this year. 24 minutes, 34 seconds average. And everyone that finished above him played in more games. And there's a lot of other defensive stats that he's pretty good at. Needless to say... This is a guy that would be awfully tough for the Canucks to part with because they're such a young team, especially on defense. And I think they would really take a step back if they lost him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other one, which is a little bit more questionable. Um, this one is uh, JT Miller is going to Vancouver. Um and oh, I just had it here. Okay, uh, Tampa Bay require gets acquires uh, Merrick Mazinek. Um, he's a goalie. Uh, a twenty nineteen third round pick, which turned into Hugo Alfelt, and a twenty. Here's the kicker: a twenty twenty conditional first round pick. And this condition, of course, is also like the last trade we just announced. Um, if the Canucks do not make the playoffs in 2019-2020 draft, the first round pick will move to the 2021 draft. Um, so this is an interesting thing because Tampa Bay Lightning were the better team than the Canucks were last year. Um, so it's, it's just, and 
JT Miller is an okay player. He was kind of like a depth role player for the uh, the Lightning. Um, he's not worth a first round pick. Um, plus, like he's not worth a first round pick. Plus, uh, what what else they got? Like a couple prospects. So it's like I do not understand this trade at all. Um, I know you were talking about this last yesterday that like you know the Canucks don't really have a ton of right wingers um, or who are like sufficient enough. But JT Miller isn't that much of an upgrade um, compared to like Louis Erickson or um, I don't know <laughs> I don't even know who else Ryan Spooner I guess um, Jake Vernon. Uh, so this this. This trade was a little bit strange to me from the perspective of Vancouver because I'm not sure why they did this. I'll tell you why they did. Secondary scoring. And if you look at J.T. Miller, he's an underrated, efficient offensive weapon. Um, In 2015-16, he had 22 goals on on 135 shots, which is pretty efficient. 43-point season. Um, seventh in shots on goal on the team, only fifth average fifteen minutes and change per game. Still got twenty goals. But um, the but, following year, he got twenty-two goals and fifty-six points. Three fewer shots on goal than the year prior. Still, even less shots on goal. Still got twenty-two goals. His time went up to over sixteen minutes. Power play points weren't there, so most of whatever damage he did was on even strength, and he was even dangerous uh, shorthanded as well. Um, but would you pay a first-round pick for him? See, this is the thing, though. This is the thing. Tampa Bay, if you look at all of the depth that they have on boards, they can afford to part with JT Miller. Because you look at Yanni Gord, in the first 20 or so games, he was a point-per-game player. You look at Tyler Johnson, he scored 29 goals last year. They have, and you look at Anthony Sorelli, who, for a rookie, played a lot of shorthanded minutes, and down the stretch was actually starting to get it going offensively too. So, when I look at Tampa Bay, they have a lot of guys at center that could do what JT Miller could do, and JT Miller is a guy that has experience playing on both sides of the wing and center. So he can do a lot of things, but the Tampa Bay Lightning have a lot of centers because they have Stankos, they have Johnson, they have Paquette, who is a hitting machine on their team. Uh, Sorelli, who played a lot of shorthanded minutes. You know how many shorthanded minutes JT Miller had all of last year, Brett? Um, I am actually looking at his stats here. He had 115 hits. Yeah, JT Miller had 115 hits, but how many shorthanded minutes did he play last year? Oh, shorthanded minutes, I don't know. He had a, he, I would imagine you're going to say a lot, so I'm going to imagine that much. JT Miller had 2 minutes and 11 seconds. Oh, okay, so it's the opposite. Shorthanded minutes all year. So if your team has a crucial penalty kill or if they have a defensive zone face-off, what are the odds he's going to be on the ice? Not often. Probably not good. Right. So the Canucks are getting secondary help, but are they getting two-way help? I'm not quite sure. And that's partially why JT Miller's ice time isn't really up there. 
because five on five power play situations, he's good. Like he had 47 points last year. 20 of them came on the power play. He's definitely a good offensive underrated offensive secondary guy, but in penalty killing situations, he's not there. They put a lot of guys on Tampa Bay before him. I think there are only two other guys that had fewer than short, uh, fewer short-handed minutes than JT Miller, and I don't think any of them played more than twenty games. So, that's... so I that's that's where I think Tampa is smart because they could afford to part ways with JT Miller. They get five plus million off the books the next four years. They get more money to sign Braden Point to whatever he wants, and on top of that. They get a first-round pick that could be top 10, top 15 right. if the Canucks continue to suck. So that just helps them retool, restock their prospect cupboard so they can continue to be good. So the Canucks might get secondary scoring right now, but in the long term, I think Tampa wins because they have guys that can fill the whatever void JT Miller leaves behind. Well, that's what I'm saying, because he, you know, you're just saying that how, like, bad he is on the defensive end. Um, that's, that's, like, proof that you're not, you're not, like, a, a complete player. And I, I just don't understand why they pay him, like, a, a first-round pick for him. That makes no sense to me. So that's why I feel, um... That's that's really where I get more uh, confused by. It's like, why would you pay a first-round pick for this guy who's going to be a depth guy for you anyways? Um, so that's that's where I yeah, get confused. And, and you know, with the power play stats, too, is you don't know if that's largely because, oh, he was playing on Tampa Bay with offense galore, yeah. or you don't know if it's, oh, he's actually good on the power play. Right. I mean, yeah. So that's why I I'm I'm just confused by it by it all. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's go to. Um. Let's see here. Uh. Oh, we have. Okay. I guess we're doing the awards now. Yeah. Um. I went guess through it, that pretty quickly. Yeah, we went. Well, we went through it in an hour. That's not bad. I thought we would it would take longer for us, but it's yeah. Okay. So did I. Uh, um. So we're we're good for time there. Uh, let's go here. Uh, awards. Um, the Hart Trophy. Um, so I have a bunch of these awards. I guess we can uh, just mention these. Uh, I guess we don't have to do these quickly, but we can. Uh, we can talk about it a little bit. Uh, Kucherov uh, gets the Hart Trophy thing. This was. Um, you know, he was a running away candidate. Uh, he was. You know, he was kind of wire to wire. A guy it wasn't a huge shock here in the, getting this award. Um, he had like 130 points. Um, I think the next closest was like 110 or something like that. So, um, so like obviously McDavid's a better player, but um, this year uh, Kucherov was by far the best player. So um, you can't. Uh, uh, you can't hate on that. Kudrov had 128 points. Uh, Connor McDavid had 116. So um, that's really where it came down to, um, or what it came down to. Um, I'm a bit surprised, though, that Crosby kind of got a bit more love because you talk yeah. about McDavid and his 116 points. 
out of Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, and Edmonton, Edmonton was clearly the worst. Yeah. And relied heavily on McDavid. So I thought he should have finished at least second. He he actually finished third. Crosby finished in second. Um, but yeah, like you said, it was Kucherov's award uh, to win. Like on top of having almost 130 points, he had 41 goals, tied for six in the league, led the league in assists with 87. 296 passes from the slot uh, that were completed more than any other player. Um, and the fact that he was voted as player MVP, he won the Ted Lindsay Award too. That's voted on by the players. Um, that that definitely speaks volumes. The players felt that he was uh, worthy of uh, the Hart Trophy too. Uh, what's also interesting in the Hart Trophy void, uh, uh, in the Hart Trophy voting, do you know Brad Marchand finished in fifth? Uh, I did not, no. Well, he did. He wow. finished fifth in Hart Trophy voting. So, nice. Hart candidate Marshall exists. Yeah. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky gets the Vezina. This is another one that it kind of, like, you know, makes sense. Uh, Tampa Bay had a historic season, so that's why, basically, they did that. Uh, Vasilevsky uh, had 39 wins, 2.4 uh, GAA. Um, or 2.40, I should say. Um, six shutouts and a save percentage of a point uh, 9.25. Um, so yeah, this this was another one where it's like, all right, it makes sense that he won this award considering he was the best goalie, um, in this league. I mean, I, I guess you could make a case for, um, maybe like uh Bobrovsky, I guess, or um, um Robin Leonard, but. I think Robin Leonard just didn't have the, um, you know, enough games to make it, to make sense there. Um, wait, who is the other guy that I'm, I feel like yeah, I'm... Yeah, Ben Bishop and Robin oh, ben Leonard, Bishop. both of them had kind of like a 1A, 1B system. Yeah, yeah. Ben Bishop, yeah, so I can understand. Ben Bishop had better save percentage in GAA, but, like, mm -hmm. he just didn't play enough games. Um, so I can, I can see why Vasilevsky won that, just because he had one more games yeah and Vasilevsky got 28 of 31 first place votes so it was kind of unanimous yeah. um there it was kind of a runaway but I feel bad for Bishop and Leonard I wish one of the former sons would have gotten it but ends up uh, going uh, to the Tampa goalie what's also interesting is that uh Bennington and Darcy Kemper uh finished in the top five in voting Ooh. for this it's it Kemper is a big surprise but also yeah. Bennington and the fact that he was nominated for a Calder Trophy and some thought he was Vezina worthy too. Like that speaks to the kind of year he had as well. Yeah, I wonder what the that is a good point because he did have a good year. The the Coyotes almost made the playoffs. Um, yeah. I thought they were going to be done once we found out that Ranta was injured. Um, yeah, I think a lot of us felt that way. Yeah, so I wonder what they're going to do in that situation there. But that's an that's another. Uh, we'll have that discussion later on this season. I uh, off season, I'm sure. Uh, the, uh, Mark Giordano gets the, uh, Norris Trophy. I feel like this is one of those times where, like, he may not have had the best stats defensive-wise, but this was like, okay, Mark Giordano should be awarded for his career, so he should get a Norris at least once in his career. Um, he did have a good season, though, don't get me wrong. He had 74 points, um, in 78 games. Um, you know, he's, uh, I guess he doesn't hit that much. I thought he hit more, but, 
Um, he, uh, but like, yeah, he, uh, he was very good this year. Um, I thought it would go to Brent Burns, uh, cause you know, he had 83 points in 82 games, but I guess, I guess Mark Giordano is a better defense, like a defensively than Brent Burns. Maybe that's why, but I don't know. Um, I think you were telling me that Mark Giordano Diano got like unanimously the first, the Norris, like everyone voted him first he got 96 percent of first oh 96 percent got it yeah um yeah. yeah yeah i was surprised how much of a runaway it was because you know with evan and burns i thought that would at least make it close yeah. but he was almost a thousand votes ahead of brent burns for second place um headman i can understand because he was injured for part of the year and he, he didn't really have a great year uh to his standards but yeah i thought it was gonna be burns but i guess not <laughs> Mark Giordano is the epitome of a feel-good story. Yeah. He won his first Norris at the age of 35. I don't think he was even drafted into the OHL. He wasn't drafted into the NHL. That much I do know. Just um, a perfect um, symbol of what happens when you don't give up on your dreams. You know? Yeah. Don't think they're ever out of reach. Mark Giordano still believed he got in the NHL. Now he's a Norris Trophy winning defenseman. Un unbelievably happy for him. Uh, what's also interesting, uh, Carlson, John Carlson finished fourth in voting. Morgan Riley finished fifth. Okay, interesting. So I, I like this this method that we're doing because you have all the like the details here, and I just yeah. Hat tip to NHL Public Relations who actually displayed these, and uh, I've seen a lot of other people yeah. on Twitter display them, but uh, the the public relations department uh, just did it in a fancier graphic, so I went with that. Got it. Um... Jack Adams, uh, Barry Trotz wins this um, for the New York Islanders. Um, yeah, probably the most captain obvious decision. Yeah. One of the many captain obvious decisions we've had in this, uh, in this awards area. ceremony. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it makes sense. I like uh, not to take away from um, any of the other coaches because there's a lot of good coaches this year. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought Brindamore or Cassidy should have been nominated. Yeah. Um, but um, but I guess you you can't really go wrong with uh, Barry Trotz because I think uh, you know we all expect after JT left uh, New York we all thought that okay this must mean that the Islanders are gonna be in the bottom half of the year you know of the of the league uh, they're not gonna be good um, they even got Trotz and Lou Lamarillo just so that they could like have a chance of keeping John Tavares um, and that didn't end up working but then they like it's like oh right we have a pretty good team Matt Barzal Anders Lee those are good guys and of course Robin Leonard was um, helped out a lot in that regard too as well as Thomas Grice um, but it was uh, so good good for him um, but yeah, there was a couple of coaches that I thought should have been nominated, even. But, um, but oh well. I think Barry Trotz was the best. The like, should deserves this Jack Adams. Yeah, um, he beat uh, John Cooper by eighty points, so it yep. was pretty close. Um, but you, you look at um, the Islanders as a team: fifth best goal differential, fifth best point total, fewest goals against after a year where. They're one of the worst defensive teams. I think everyone expected, you know, with the success that Trotz had in Nashville, with the success he had with the Caps and winning a Stanley Cup, 
there was going to be progress. It was going to be gradual, but never did anyone think that the Islanders would be this good so soon. And yeah. I think once we got into like December, January, February, and the Islanders were still there, still contending, you know, if they got into the playoffs, this was going to be his award to lose. And definitely deserving. In case you're wondering, you finished third, fourth, and fifth. Barube got third place. Bill Peters, who had, to his credit, a great season with the Calgary Flames, finished fourth. Rob Brindamore finished fifth. So, unfortunately for Brett, Cassidy didn't even make the top five. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Um, it's okay. Sweeney got the GM award, so I'll, um, I'll be <laughs> and, okay. And he beat Doug Armstrong on top yeah. of that. Uh, but, uh, I mean, the Bruins and the Blues also fought in uh, for the Selkie race, and this time Ryan O'Reilly wins that. This means that Ryan O'Reilly had had a pretty good, like, two weeks. Uh, he got yeah. a Stanley Cup, Conn Smythe, and now he has a Selkie as well. Um, so he... Also, um, also nominated for the Lady Bing, too. And Lady Bing, yeah. Um, it's, you know, it is always funny, like... No, like when he gets nominated for the Lady Bing, knowing that he um, is a you know he ran into a Tim Hortons a couple of years ago. Yeah, you I know, remember like that. he's not that's not very gentlemanly. But anyways, he uh, Ryan O'Reilly does you deserve the sword. Running into a Tim Hortons though, like that's what I mean. Yeah, that only happens in Canada. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I don't. I don't think there are any Tim Hortons here in America. Well, there are in, in the U.S. I hear they kind of expanded to the U.S., but, like, it's a Canadian, we did it right. first. Kind of thing. Oh. Like, oh, it's a Canadian brand. Yeah, yeah, but I don't even think there, I think there may be one in Detroit. I remember thinking that, but. There, there are probably, there are probably, yeah, probably near the Canadian border there are some, but, yeah. uh, like, I'm sure there are still places in America Anyways. that have more Dunkin' Donuts than Tim Anyways, Hortons. back on track here, Ryan O'Reilly, <laughs> um, he, uh, he I, I was just looking here that I'm now in the league page here for the team, the league that counts faceoff wins. He had the most uh, faceoff wins this year, a thousand eight hundred. Yeah, he had a thousand eighty-six uh, faceoff wins. Do you want to guess who was the sec? Who had the second most faceoff wins? I'm gonna guess Bergeron. No, actually, Bo Horvat. Oh wow! Yeah, Bergeron had seven eighty six, but that was mostly due to the fact that he missed like twenty games. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling that's really what that really made the difference is because Ryan O'Reilly um, played eighty two games, Bergeron played uh, 60, 65 games. Um, but if Bergeron had played a full season, then he it would have been a lot closer. Um, I actually thought that there was a chance that Mark Stone was going to win it um, mm -hmm. because it seemed like everyone was on uh, was like going crazy for Mark Stone. But um, but no, it's good for Ryan O'Reilly. He he also picked it up in the second half. Um, I think he had like forty points in the second half alone, um, which is insane when you think about it. So um, and that yeah. that was a big reason why the Blues were the way they were. And it, I obviously this award was like a nap like made before the playoffs even started but um but it was it's very clear why the blues uh needed him and he was like their best player i can't remember who from the hockey news but 
someone wrote an article on the hockey news about why the Selkie is starting to become the new hard trophy. And you look at yeah. the amount of emphasis on two-way guys, even the first round that we covered, like two-way centers and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I definitely think there's an argument to be made that, oh, yeah, yeah for it's sure. just important as the hard trophy. Yeah, I mean, I mean like... Brian O'Reilly had the second most blocked passes, one of the best stick checkers in the league. He... He definitely brings a lot more than just offense. But to your point about Mark Stone, I really wanted Mark Stone to win. Like, he had 28 goals and 62 points before leaving Ottawa on a crappy team. Like, that's absolutely insane. And then he goes to Vegas and and makes a big impact and has a monster first-round series against Vegas, too. So I I was really hoping Mark Stone was going to win it. I thought he, he made a big case for it, but um, I I thought if he lost, it would be Bergeron beating him out. I didn't expect O'Reilly to do it, but uh, yeah, quite like you said, for Ryan O'Reilly, it's been quite a few weeks for the kid. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, yeah, no, like you were mentioning where two-way, like I feel like two-way centers are becoming, or the Selkie Award is becoming more um, like the hard trophy. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, when you look, like Kevin Hayes probably wouldn't be making seven million dollars um, <laughs> if he, if he was only good on offensive stuff. So um, I think that that has a lot to do with it too. So yeah, I think there's more emphasis on okay, you're good offensively, but like the difference maker is if you can play, if you can back check, if you can win face-offs if you can do you know if you can uh keep up with your man with your man and all that stuff so um yeah and, and i, I think, think that has that's, a lot to do with that's it. why when you get older yeah that's so important as to finding work in the nhl like yeah. it's one thing to score goals but yet you, you have to play a little bit of the right way and do the little things right because if you don't do that and the day you stop doing your trademark thing which is scoring goals piling up points who's gonna want you like you're just there not doing much of anything and that's why you know you you see guys like chris kunis you know who are still in the nhl are just thinking why are they still in the nhl they're only like putting up like 15 to 30 points that's that's not really good but you know what if if they put in the hard work if if they're a good team player and and they work hard and they do the little things right that's why they're still around because they help the team in other ways, not just offensively. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's go to uh, the Calder Trophy. This was another no-brainer. Uh, Elias Peterson or Peterson, I guess we should call him, um, <laughs> it gets the Calder Trophy. He was like, he was actually like, um, you know, he was the difference maker uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. He was their best player this year. Um, but he was also like there, you know, when he was off the ice, when he was injured, like the Canucks, like were not a good team. Um, he had 66 points in 71 games. Um, I guess the, the, I was seeing on Twitter that like the thing that was crazy to people was that Miro Heiskanen didn't even get like any third place votes or anything like that. Like there was a couple of people who thought that Miro Heiskanen should have been even nominated, but it turns out that, like, people didn't realize that he's, like, a good player and all that stuff. So um, that that was interesting to me, but um, there was a pretty good uh, class here. Uh, Jordan Bennington, of course, um, he kind of led the way. Um, 
he kind of like changed the Blues. He was a big part of why the Blues were uh, even made the playoffs. Um, and you know Carter Hart uh, and as again, well. Almost, and they almost won their division again. I'm, I I can't reiterate enough. They all were almost crowned division champions at the end of the year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Carter Hart um, also is very good um, too um, this yeah. year. Um, they. Um, uh, then there was, uh, you know, Mira Heiskin in as well. Brady Kachuk had his moments. Um, Anthony Cirelli, too, played, yeah, Anthony um, played underrated minutes with Tampa Bay. I think he's he's going to pop in a couple Just, of years. Jesperi uh, Kodkinemi um, also yep. had a good year. Um, so there was a couple of guys where um, – there's a couple of rookies that were good this year. Um I feel I just want to make sure I'm not missing other guys worth yeah. mentioning here. Speshnikov, the top five. Dolan. Um, obviously, Bennington finished second. Dolan finished third. Heiskanen right. finished fourth. And uh, Brady Kachuk of your Ottawa Senators uh, got in the top five. He finished uh, fifth. I didn't yeah. realize, actually, Brady Kachuk, I think, had over 200 shots on goal, which for a rookie is freaking solid. Yeah, no, he was he was very good. He's he's been he does like everything. It feels like, um, yeah. make that, me slowly forget about losing Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne, but <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But yeah, no, he's he's a very good player. Um, and one step ahead, Brett. One step at a time. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin. I almost forgot about him too. Um, yeah, and, I think a lot of people yeah. thought he was the front runner to win right away, and then Peterson came out of nowhere. And by January, yeah. I think everyone thought, okay, he's got a lot locked up now. Yeah, in fairness to Darlene, though, it's like it's tough to win the Calder if you're a defenseman. So. Um, oh yeah, there there have been um there have been a lot of talented players who didn't win the Calder in in their rookie season. Like I think Mark Stone was up against Johnny Gaudreau. Like, oh yeah, yeah. There, there's some really tough bosses. And they, in fact, I. I don't even think Gaudreau or Stone won it that year. I think it was Ekblad. Was that right? I don't think Ekblad. Did Ekblad win? I didn't think he did. I think he maybe won a Calder Troy. I think he was nominated for one at least. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. Like, Anyways, like, like you said, not not always often that. Like like McDavid, exam, for example. Like that injury shortened season. Like if, without that injury, he probably wins. But he didn't. Panarin yeah. won it that True, true. Oh, right, that's right. I forgot about that. Uh, Lady Bing, uh, uh, Barkov wins uh, this award. This is also funny because <laughs> during the speech, he, um, uh, speaking of gentlemanly, uh, he didn't, he, I don't know if he meant to say this this way, but uh, there's a couple of Finnish people who were cheering him on, and then he made this remark saying that there are more fans there are more fans from Finland here than there are in Florida, um, but which is a, a shot at Florida. But it is funny that he he wins the Lady Bing, uh, which is going to the most gentlemanly thing, and then he kind of insults his yeah, fans. Yeah, I think it was an unintentional so, In fairness, if you look at the geographical map, Florida right. to Vegas is quite the journey. Right. So but, it's not it's not that people would. But if you look, but just that. They'd be paying a lot to go see him in Vegas. But if you're going to, by geographical sense, if Finland's even further away. Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, no, but, it's... But we all know how Finland likes their hockey. Yeah, no, I know. Which is why I feel like uh, it was unintentional, because I, I don't think... I think Barkov was mentioning how, like, appreciative he was of his Finnish fran- fans versus, like, and then he was like, oh, right. <laughs> um, which is yeah. kind of... It's just a funny uh, thing there. Uh, I think... I, I remember... I think it was... I think Barkov went second overall in the draft, and then... I, th- I think it was, like, Druin that was... I think yep. Barkov, if I'm not mistaken, was picked Barkov up went after. I think it was like McKinnon, Barkov, Druin, um, yeah. and then uh, who else? Oh, Seth Jones was. That makes that. sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Barkov over Druin looks pretty good now. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's been the same for a while. Um, then we have uh, Robin Leonard gets a Masterson. This was another no-brainer. He, he um, if you guys don't remember, I think we mentioned this when it happened, but Robin yeah. Leonard said that he was he had bipolar disorder. He also was like addicted to drugs, and he was very depressed. Um, he he almost commit or he tried to commit suicide. Um, obviously, he did not uh, succeed in that, but. Um, he uh, he said that uh, so he got all better and then he became like almost uh, a Vezina caliber goalie, um, and he says, uh, but like he had an incredible speech. It was very moving. Uh, the main takeaway though was that he said, "I'm not ashamed to say I'm mentally ill, but that does not mean I'm mentally weak," which is uh, powerful stuff to or a powerful sentence to say. Yeah, probably one of the most um, inspirational speeches, probably the one that's going to stick out to yep. me for many, many years um, in, in any awards ceremony. Like, that was very powerful stuff. I believe sobriety without alcohol, I think that was the main root of his addiction. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, he definitely had a lot of demons, and it's, it's an ongoing battle. He's been sober for 13, 14 months. And just to go out there, not only play, but to have the season he had to be nominated for a Vesna. And on yeah. top of that, say the Masterton means more to me than the Vesna. Just says a lot about Robin Leonard as a person and what he's gone through. Um, I think the meaning of this award means a lot more more to him uh, than anything. Um, and speaking of goaltenders, um, just winning our winning our hearts and really grabbing our attention and just hitting us in the feels. Carey Price right, and I knew you were mention that. Carey, yeah. Carey Price and Anderson, the Habs fan, man, oh man, that's that's some kind of friendship. Yeah, if you don't remember, I think this uh, this Habs fan had his was it his mother who died or it was his, his mother that passed away from cancer? Yes, yeah. and, and, and one of her Carey, wishes was that she promised she would get him to see Carey Price someday. Who was his hero, and then they yeah. eventually did. So, and then he showed up. He originally had like a video set up for him, and then. Um, he actually was there in the awards, and then he not only did that, he signed a jersey for him, and he also uh, uh, gave him tickets to the All-Star game next year, which is going to be yeah. Montreal. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, good on good on uh, Carey Price. I hate the team he plays for, but um, <clears throat> I like the guy underneath there. Um, yeah. Speak, speaking of teams that he ain't playing for, Austin Matthews of your Toronto Maple Leafs yeah. will be on the cover of NHL 20. Yep. That's another one, too. Um, and then... Uh, but, he's, but he's American, so you like him anyway. I, I, no, I, I actually don't hate Leafs players as much as 
I hate Habs players. Although I do root for like guys like PK Subban, Galchenyuk, and Pacioretty when they're off of the the team when they're off, not on Montreal. Um, I think part for Pacioretty and Galchenyuk, it's because they're American. Um, yeah. But uh, mostly. Um, Although, uh, yeah, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, I, I don't get, I don't know, for some reason I don't get as uh, crazy about the Leafs as I do about the Canadians. I think it's because the Le- we've had the Leafs number, um, yeah. where it feels like they're, like, they're our little brother, you know? It's like, oh, know. how cute, you guys are signing John Tavares, how cute, you know? And then it's like, you know... I'll, be, I'll get really worried when you beat us kind of thing, but um, all, all, all that stuff. But yeah, that's probably when you're going to start to hate yeah. them when they, when they start oh, to no. overtake I'll, I'll definitely, and, you're, and then you're the one that's getting beat up in the play. I'll definitely hate them when they if they ever win a cup again. But it's, that's, uh, that's partially why I hate the Leafs yeah. to begin with, is because they beat us, is they beat my sense yeah. of the playoffs so many times, and everything all the series were so emotional like there was you know a lot of fisticuffs and it yeah. was a mostly pretty heated battle i think the reason why the leafs and sense hate each other so much not as much now like they there's there's still kind of the, the yeah. mutual dislike but it's not as heightened because not it's it's it, because you know it's always one team seems to be out of the playoffs or the odd time both teams are out of the playoffs it's never where both are in the playoffs and they're going up against each other like oh, yeah, they were yeah. in the early 2000s. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I think that's also why I, I hate the Habs more than the Leafs because when, like, the Habs have beaten the Bruins in the playoffs a lot, um, and I, I always remember that more than... Because usually the Bruins do beat the Leafs. It's like, yeah, they're a good team, but, you know... What, t- talk to me when they beat us in the playoffs, and I know it's going to happen one of these days, one of these years. It's going to happen, but we'll see. Uh, the GM, I, and I should mention that. Speaking of which, the GM of the year was Don Sweeney. Uh, good for him. It is funny though, considering that this is the same guy who traded a third for Zach Ronaldo. Also, like messed up that entire 2015 draft. With those three picks, although I mean Jake DeBrus is a legit player, but you know, uh, not, we're not. I would rather have Kyle Connor, uh, Thomas Shabbat, um, Brock Besser, and uh, Matt Barzal. Um, any of those three um, instead of who we got. Not to take away from Jake DeBrusque and. This, I'm still patient on Seneshin and Zaboro, but it is funny that like this, like now, Don Sweeney wins the GM of the year after making like two horrendous uh, deals like that. So, um, but I guess it it shows that he was able to learn. Um, I think this award was an like they made these awards before the playoffs, right? Yeah, I don't think they really take playoffs okay. into account. Cause, like, cause that's where his moves really sh- shined when Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson were like the best players in the playoffs for us. But um, it's good for him to at least have be uh, like get nominated and uh, the Bruins to be acknowledged for their their good season. But um, 
yeah, so it's uh, good, good on Don Sweeney. Um, it seems like he's learned from the past, more or less. Yeah, and then he and then he drafts uh, some guy named John Beecher third yeah, overall. <laughs> of course, and and not like uh, uh, Lavoie or uh, Kaliev. He still he still does this. It's like the same thing happened in 2016 with uh, Trent Frederick when we like DeBrincat. Um, was on the table there. All right, yeah. Um, that was that was the other big one. Although Debrinkat wasn't as big of a deal, considering that like Debrinkat was in the second round pick, so everyone, every team passed on him at least once. But um, yeah, but you just knew that once the Blackhawks got him, you're just yeah. like, okay, watch, he's gonna be. It was just to yeah, four. and it, like I I remember emailing you during this draft where I was just like, like either like I'm hoping that we get like. Kaliev, uh, um, what, what's his face? Lavoie, Bobby Bring, even. Yeah. But, um, but like, or or Sweeney's gonna draft some guy I've never heard of, and lo and behold, he drafts some guy I've never heard of. Um, anyways, let's go to the Bruins Sense segment here, because uh, it is a good leadway to there. Um, yeah. Might as well continue with your Bruins because we're on the Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I was so uh, we we're gonna talk. I mean, I talked about this a bit yesterday um, during our podcast. I uh, yes, yeah, so the Bruins drafted uh, John Beecher um, in the thirtieth round. He does seem like a good player. He um, he was decent. Um, he played for that. He was another one of those USHL players on the U.S. development team. Um, so it's like, uh, according to Don Sweeney, it's like he he was a good player. He, we just want to see him, like, imagine what he can do with more ice time. So um, so that should be intriguing to see um, how he does. But, of course, I was kind of disappointed because, uh, like Chris mentioned yesterday, like, they already have a lot of guys in their system who play defense, like who play a lot of like two-way games. So it's, it seems like it's going to be crowded in that, in that regard. Um, so I would have liked to see them take a stab at Kaliev and, or, um, what's his face? Uh, Lavoie. Um, but, um, but yes, we'll see. Um, apparently, John Beecher is going to be go to University of Michigan. Um, I don't know much about the other guy uh, that they drafted in the third round, uh, Quinn Olson. Um, but um, yeah, we'll see about him as well. But whatever. Um, I think we're gonna take this Bruins send segment and just in case of like what we think they should do in the free agency market. Um, I, so yeah, I, I, like the big, the big thing, um, if, if they can't do anything else, the only thing I want them to, like the main priority is sign Charlie McAvoy. Um, yeah. he needs to be signed. Um, you don't know, like Tory Krug has one more year left. Um, and he, Charlie McAvoy is like groomed to be that guy. Um, if Tory Krug somehow leaves or goes, um, so that's going to be the big thing. I want to see the Bruins. I, I mentioned this when I did the moratorium for the Bruins, but I want to see the Bruins go and get a big free agent uh, this year. 
um, especially on the wing. I think I think that's been our biggest weak point. Um, but that that should happen. I know that there's going to be a cap thing. Hopefully, so, I think someone should try to get David Backus. Um, just like dump his ca cap thing. That's going to be the only thing that would restrict us uh, from getting a big free agent. Um, is if you unload a David Backus contract. Um, I would not unload David Krejci's contract or Tory Krug's contract, um, but I, I would like to see us um, try to see if we can uh, get unload David Backus's contract and see if some some team is gonna look to uh, to uh, trade for him. I doubt it. It's like a very slim chance, but I'm I remain hopeful somewhat somehow. Um, and also, uh, Marcus Johansson would be... Uh, they did announce the cap this year. I think they were... Don Sweeney was saying how, like, uh, he hasn't um, started negotiations with a lot of his free agents because he wasn't sure of the cap situation, and they figured out the cap. Um, and I think Marcus Johansson is going to be one of those players that they're going to talk to, um, supposedly. Um, we'll see if that happens. Um I would like to see him, but at the same time, I know that this guy had um, injury risk. I just, um, he has, you know, we're not sure how consistent he can be. Uh, I just don't want to, like, pay him more than, I don't know, $5 million. Um, but we'll see there. Um, I would like to sign Mojo up just because uh, depth, depth wingers is probably our biggest weak point um, at this point injuncture um but yeah we'll see um yeah uh let's go to your sends well um i do have a bit of news to get out of the way before i talk about the draft picks and what they could do in free agents because they did sign a couple of pieces believe okay. they actually kept some people this week uh before i do that though good news for brady kachuk who was named to the nhl's all rookie team he joined uh, Jordan Bennington, Rasmus Dellen, Miro Heiskanen, Anthony Sorelli, and Elias Peterson. Um, so get that out of the way. Um, the first name they kept is Anthony Duclair, who uh, is back for one year, uh, and he'll be making $1.65 million. In his short time with Ottawa last year, he had eight goals on 40 shots and uh, 14 points in 21 games after getting traded from Columbus to Ottawa in the Ryan Dezingle trade. Um, he was basically entering a situation where Ottawa pretty much traded away every pra practically every key member they had. Um, Duclair himself wasn't really on good terms with a lot of other teams. Um, kind of, you know, wasn't personality-wise, but just playing-wise, so kind of overstayed his welcome a little bit and uh, found himself uh, in another city. Uh, didn't average even 14 minutes per game with Ottawa, so a small sample size. Definitely worth when you consider what he did with that small sample size. Taking a chance on him for one year to see what he's got is definitely something I'm a fan of. If he's worth keeping on a multi-year deal, if he does more of the same next year, then do it if he's earned it. But uh, for now, it's, it's definitely worth a, a second look. Um, they also signed NHL goalie, hopefully, Marcus Hogberg, to a two-year extension worth 700000 a year. 
in year one, he's going to be making 700K at the NHL level. If he goes down to the NHL, he'll be making 125,000. But in the second year, it goes from a two-way to a one-way, which basically means if they sent him down in year two, he'd have to clear waivers first. So what that tells me is basically expect him to be on the team for good following a hopefully promising season in 2019-2020. And this past year was actually pretty promising. He had 21 victories with Belleville, a 2.31 goals against, and a 9.17 save percentage over 39 games. Belleville almost made the playoffs, just missed out on the final day, but uh, definitely showed a long of promises. NHL stats, he played in four games, GAA over four. Doesn't look appetizing, but there were some good moments in that four-game stretch where I'm pretty optimistic that uh, this kid will hopefully turn out all right. He showed promise last year. Hopefully he can build on it this year. Um, the other guy they kept is Andreas Engeland. Uh, signed a one-year patch, which will pay him 700 grand as an NHLer, 80 grand in the minors. He had 14 points with Belleville last year in 68 games. The thing with Ottawa is their decor is pretty young, so I don't know what his chances to making the team are, how much time he's got left, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, there are a few names that won't be back. Um, I'm hoping they keep Brian Gibbons, um, who in 20 games had 14 points, six goals on 21 shots, didn't even average 13 minutes. Um, for a rebuilding team, I'd like I'd like to see him keep Brian Gibbons because it's not like they're expecting a 60-point season out of anybody. Um, maybe Brady Kachuk and Shabbat, but that's about it. So um, I, I think for a rebuilding team, Brian Gibbons would be perfect. Not sure what their odds of bringing back Marcus, uh, are, um, not Marcus, Oscar Lindbergh are. Not sure if he'll be back. He's a UFA. What I do know is that Magnus Priory will not be offered a contract. He's gone. Um, the talks with Cody CC's camp continue. Not sure where they stand at the moment. Colin White will more than likely be signed at some point. Maybe they get a head start and give Shabbat a long-term deal before the season is out. Um, Chris Kelly will not be back as an assistant coach. He's uh, contemplating his future there. As a team, the longest contract running is three years and it's Bobby Ryan. So everyone else is like within the next year or so going to become um, a free agent, whether it's restricted or unrestricted. So there's a lot of short term to this team. I heard Spezza to Ottawa was in the realm of possibility about a month ago. I'm more open at, uh, I'm more open to that idea now than I was a month ago. So maybe that's something they do in free agency. But other than that, I don't expect too much. I hope I see nothing but resignings, except if it's Cody Cece and it's seven million per year over six years. Please, Pierre, don't do that. I'm begging you. Um, if I'd, I'd like a reasonable price for Cody Cece. Um, the last thing that Ottawa needs to do in a rebuilding mode is signing contracts that they're gonna regret later when it's time to be competitive and uh, keep a lot of their players. Um, as for the NHL draft, they didn't hit a home run. They did all right. Um, after what Chris Mass has said about Lassie Thompson, after what I heard about Lassie Thompson after he was drafted, um, I'm kind of more open to the pick. I didn't really know him before that. Shane Pinto kind of warming up to him as well. Matt Sogard is interesting. Um, at 6'8", he's quite the specimen. 
Um, at the World Juniors, he kind of got shelled, but in Medicine Hat, his numbers were pretty solid. It's, again, like I said in the draft recap show, they have a lot of young goalies. They have Joey Decord, they have Philip Gustafson, they have Marcus Hogberg. I guess too much depth of goalie never hurts, but I don't know why they would draft another goalie unless they have question marks about a goalie panning out. And you look at Philip Gustafson's numbers in the NA, in the AHL last year, they weren't great. Um, Hogberg's was on another level. So maybe they're a bit concerned that Gustafson won't pan out and maybe they're just getting Sogard as insurance. Um, I just told drafting Stilgar was worth passing over Raphael Lavoie for a third time because yeah. um, I was taking a look at Raphael Lavoie's Elite Prospects page and I'm looking at his height and his weight and kind of the characteristics of his game and I'm thinking the Edmonton Oilers basically replaced Jesse Pugliarvi with this pick Yeah, because he sounds a lot like what Jesse Pugliarvi brings. So if we missed out on... Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi type of player that could be good. I don't know if it was worth adding another young goaltender for that, but um, yeah, I'm 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 open to be proven wrong, so we'll see. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, Lavoie has the potential to be the Matt Barzal of the Bruins, like to the Bruins. You know, like the Bruins pass up on it, Barzal three straight times, and then the the last of that third pick. Lavoie gets picked and Barzal gets picked. So, um, but yeah, obviously, I would trade it up and yeah. didn't drop Lavoie the third time. But if you think about it this way, um, I know from experience. If you think of it this way, though, it's even more so because Lavoie was picked in the second round. So in that sense, like a lot of teams passed up on um, on Lavoie, not just the Senators. Um, That's true, and and to be fair, there was also I think two occasions where Ottawa passed up on Travis Konechny. Right. And guess who they picked? Thomas Shabbat and Colin White. True, true. So yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's one of those things where you, you don't really know until it happens. Um, what do you want them to do for free agency? Like I said, just stay quiet. Don't do anything oh. stupid. Oh, yeah, you did say that. Sorry. <laughs> and, and I, I maybe, maybe bring in a veteran like Spezza that could help all the young guys along. Because oh. like I said a couple of weeks ago with Jason Spezza, maybe he's still got something left in the tank if they put him in a bigger role. Um, but I think the veteran leadership that he brings, like how to handle the pressures of being a young star that people are expecting a lot out of in a rebuilding year where in a couple of years you're expected to do something i think spezza could really help out with that yep so maybe getting a guy of that caliber would be good for ottawa but again don't make any stupid contract extensions a la signing cody cc for seven million over six years please yeah. um but i i think um Pierre Dorian would be wise to lay low. Um, Ottawa's in no position to spend. We know that. Uh, they're a rebuilding team for a reason. If you can resign a couple of guys to keep the fan base happy, perfect. You know, get Shabbat out of the way, that'd be productive. Yeah. Um, but I don't expect them to do much of anything because they're not expected to do much of anything next year. So. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. I, I, uh, it's funny that you talked yourself into Jason Spezza. 
But yeah. Yeah. So I, a couple I, weeks I, ago, you weren't, you weren't, uh, you were hesitant on the idea. If, if it was at the, if it was at the right price, I'm, I'm open to it. Um, and I don't think he's going to be getting the money that he got in Dallas. Right. Um, and the fact that he's, you know, open to the idea, you know, that's, that I think makes it more possible because. I, I think at this rate, the Sens will take anybody that can help make their team good again. Yeah, so. for sure. All right, uh, let's go to um, let's finish this show. Yeah, let's um, go to the end of the show. We made it. I know we did it. Um, our uh, so yeah, you can catch us on SoundCloud. Uh, we're also on uh, iTunes and Spotify. Um, if you're not listening to that and subscribe to us there, do so. Um, our Facebook is Lace M Up. Our uh, Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. And uh, yeah, that's it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 178 of the Lace Em Up Podcast.